This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 170 of the Laravel News Podcast. We're using Notion for all our notes, and we got a cool little red, yellow, green light uh, for our random emoji today. And so I think that's telling us to to go fast. I think that's what it's telling us, Michael. Yep, go quickly. Go fast. Go fast. I've been trying to make things go fast this week. It's been, uh, well, we're, uh-huh. we're in the middle of an infrastructure AWS. at the moment, yep, yep. so moving from... We're moving. We're moving to AWS. So it's just like getting the deploys working. Laravel Envoy. If you have to manage any of this stuff by yourself, like if you're not using Forge or, or you're not using Vapor or, or Envoy, like if you're not doing anything else, I think Envoy is a nice balance between PHP. You like using PHP and using like automated yeah, shell scripts it's, it's for really stuff. Sweet, yeah. And it's just the um the amount of time that it is saved. Because our CTO was responsible for all of our deploys before, so he'd have to like log into a server and then do a git pull and then do a composer install yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And then inevitably you forget a step, you forgot to cache config, you forgot to whatever else, and and that was right, just like exactly. on one server. Yeah. Where you now servers, yep. we've got multiple servers in different zone, you know, availability zones. You've got to deploy the same code in both places. You have to make sure like all the commands are run. And because we're now multi multi server, you've got to like. Uh, and we're doing rolling releases, like zero downtime releases. You need to do a composer yep. install in a separate directory every time. You need to do all that kind of stuff. You need to symlink in the storage and all of that kind of stuff. And then you need to like swap out that. So like to do that manually across multiple servers yeah. um, is just a lot of work and it's very mm-hmm. error prone. So, you know, he, he said to me that I've saved him like 5% of his year just <laughs> by, by automating this stuff. And it's like, oh, we forgot a service. So just like run that we've got, Two two stories configured in Envoy. One is for setup, which goes and sets up the directory structures, make sure all of the necessary like private keys are there and storage directories exist and ENV files exist and all of that kind of stuff. And then does the initial deploy. And then the, the other deploy is obviously just to to create the release directory, you know, do the clone, do the composer install, do all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, having Laravel Envoy just do that across all of the servers. Um, and then we're even using it for other utilitarian things because we're multi-tenanted. So rather than like logging into the server and finding out who's installed and running migrations manually and all that kind of stuff, we've got Envoy tasks that are like list the tenants, create a new tenant, migrate the tenant databases, do seeding of the tenants. All of this is done just by Envoy just because it's easier to go like Envoy run, create tenant and pass it whatever than it is to like SSH through the jump host to the server to then run it there. And it just like simplifies a lot of the process for us. So if you haven't, definitely, definitely go and check out Laravel Envoy. It's a it's a nice thing. Like and there are plenty of businesses out there that like we don't want to pay for Forge or we don't want to pay for Envoy or whatever else. You know, but you need to do some kind of automation, then then definitely check that out. And then, you know, if you stuff something up, then you've got Honey Badger to cover your back. And if there's any errors and things like that, you will get error reporting. You will get, um, you know, if you forget to configure your yes. your scheduled tasks, you'll get alerts for, you know, check-in failures and all that kind of stuff. And um, so definitely check them out. Uh, we'll talk more about Honey Badger later in the show. But to kick things off, do you want to tell us about Yeah, absolutely. So I was going to say Envoy or two, like you said, like utilitarian stuff, I think, or not Envoy, Envoy. 
is really cool. So like I have a, uh, mm-hmm. or I had a task where when our IT guys were going to be updating our servers, um, I could run a command that would put all of our applications into maintenance mode, like just kick them all down. So they'd stop mm-hmm. running their scheduled tasks, stop running the yeah. queue workers, stop trying to right. hit a database that's no longer going to be available for 30 minutes, right? I was it spiked all my error monitors. Yeah, it's not, yeah, not just and then I'd have for the to deploys. go in on Monday and clear out all the errors that are like, okay, I know these are garbage because, you know, so you can just do little things like that too. Uh, stuff that you'd have to do across, you know, I've got like 20 different properties that I'd need to kind of do that on. That's no fun. Yeah. No fun to do that manually. So just, you know, set a little Envoy script up and push the button and there you go. It works pretty good. And you can even have them do it, right? Yeah. Hey guys, run this, yeah, run this little thing here and there you go. You're all set. So yeah, no, the week was good. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got a, uh, we had a really close call this week with somebody um, going through some phishing link stuff. Dude, it's crazy, right? Like it's oh, like no. you know, one of our largest clients has had uh, of like five of their vendors. I think three of them have been crypto locked this year or within the last calendar no. year. And so we had a guy who thankfully we've got a really, really, really solid IT team and they kind of covered our covered our butts we we had some good stuff through there but mm-hmm. they discovered immediately that there was a guy who had basically clicked through a link and put all his credentials in it was like oops so man those are cra- yeah. that was a crazy you know <laughs> that's crazy thankfully it wasn't like anything was bro- like nothing happened which was great but it was just scary because it was like oh my word mm-hmm. that's how it happens you know that's how it happens to people it's just crazy yeah yeah it's funny i am um, i sit in a discord um server from from like when i used to work at an internet provider and they were talking in there this past week of like the same thing happening that someone in the accounts team got fished and some details got compromised. So that was uh, yeah. interesting I mean, to see. That's that's basically for the last year and a half, two years. That's been one of the one of the most like that's been top of our list is like do not do mm-hmm. not get crypto locked and do not have data loss. Like don't don't let stuff get exfiltrated. And so we've been really pushing on that for a while. But mm-hmm. I know nothing nothing really to do with like Laravel specifically. But that was part of my week this last week. And then um, yeah, working on some really cool stuff with uh, the small dev team that we have. And they're rock stars. They're doing really good. So it's been it's been a good week. Got some uh, really good stuff deployed and um, working on sort of standardizing some of our uh, UI using Blade templates because Blade templates are so rockstar awesome i love them they're so awesome and so uh loving mm-hmm. that it's really good stuff so yeah honey badger the top awesome. show thank you for honey badger for sponsoring and we're going to jump right into it we've got a little bit of a shorter week today uh, this week i always say that and then it ends up being like 45 minutes so 9.18 here we go laravel <laughs> 9.18 so laravel team released 9.18 it's a jam-packed release lots of amazing features quality life improvements so here are the high level details Taylor jumped in on Twitter to talk about it. it has some uh, he calls them fire features that I think you'll dig. Right, so it's been cool. Tim uh, McDonald and um, Jess Acha uh, are on the team now, so it's been really cool to see their contributions rolling out. Uh, you know, they they're such really good. They're such good developers anyway. But it's cool to see them just providing value right out of the gate. So Tim McDonald introduced a new method and invokes yeah. a closure cumulative time you spend querying the database during a request exceeds a threshold so if you're doing a a request and you it's sort of like watching adding the uh, up the amount of time that you're spending querying the database not for just a single query not so like a slow query but like if the cumulative time spent querying the database during a single request so it could be over a couple different queries exceeds mm-hmm. a, a particular threshold you could then um basically do something right it'll execute this closure and so 
Uh, I think you do that inside of the app service provider when querying for longer than method. And so you can invoke that in the boot, boot method of a service provider. So pretty cool. Um, he talked about that one. Improving file attachments for mail and notifications. This is also a Tim McDonald special. He's got uh, attachable objects, which you can use to implement attachments with models. So if you have a photo uh, that implements the attachable interface, uh, then what you can do is you can have a function called to mail attachment, and then you can return uh, attachment colon colon from path, and then you can set a path location. So when you're building a message, then you can pass an instance of that model, that photo that we had here, and then you can just say attach and then pass in the model. So it knows, hey, uh, if you're looking for an attachment from me, this model, here's where you would go find it, right? Here's where you go find that attachment. So that's pretty cool. I, we have that specifically. Actually, we were just updating a a, loca a, um, a uh, app where we're doing that. And it's interesting because depending on like one of two things, it might live in one place or another place. So if it's a type that needs to be converted to a PDF, it will live in one folder. And if it's not, then it will be in the originals folder, right? So with that, you could have a two mail attachment, attachment from path, and then you could just do this, use this attach and then pass in the model. So pretty cool. So the new attachable to objects documentation for complete details, details on that feature. So another one here for Tim McDonald contributed invocable validation classes. So this aims to introduce a new ba uh, class-based validation. It will sort of mix the simplicity and brevity of closure-based results with the shareable, extendable, chainable nature of class rules. And this is by in, uh, introducing an invocable validation rule. So with a closure, typically, that's sort of like a one-off, right? It's just going to be like, you've got it in one spot. It's one and mm -hmm. done. There you go. There's your closure. And with rules, rules are nice because you can share them, save them, implement them across different controllers. But this is sort of a mix of the two of them. And so what he's got is he's got a invocable quantity class implements an invocable rule and instead of having all of the different methods that you would typically have to have on a rule you just have one it's just an invoke function it takes the attribute the value and the fail as arguments and then you just do everything right inside that one particular method so just inside the invoke method you have your truthy check and then if it doesn't if it doesn't work you can return a fail validation along with an error message all good all good to go no problem so it's it's nice i mean it's Interesting. I'm not sure. I guess it's just a little bit more. So, you know, what it said here is it's like brevity and simplicity is what they're focused on, right? You basically have one yeah. particular method that you're implementing rather than three at a minimum, right? So that's good. Mm. It also gives you the ability to hmm. test okay. it oh, as well. Interesting. You know, you can you can test those those validation yeah. rule classes that's nice. in isolation rather than like because if you're using the closure just in line well it's there and you can kind of test it oh, within the context that's of that's kind of cool the yeah. the request but for for scenarios where you want to you know where they where you you've got a sufficiently complex rule being able to then test that in isolation with different scenarios without having oh, that's to hit a great http point. Is, yeah. is pretty Was useful that in as the well pull request too were you looking at the pull request were you cheating huh i don't know <laughs> No, not at all. Not at all. Not at <laughs> okay. all. Because that is very insightful. It's very true. Yeah, because that is that is uh, interesting. How do you test those rules? You typically have to invoke HTTP or whatever like that. So yeah, nice. Nice job. Okay. Mm -hmm. Dries yep. Vince contributed support for Predis 2.0. Predis 2.0.0 is a maintenance release, so no breakages there. Oh, my word. I'm going to... I'm gonna. Tim McDonald. I mean, literally, we have like two, three, 
four, four more from him on this one release. This is insane. Okay, so yeah, it's the Timmy Mac exactly. release. Define nested with relations via a nested array. So he contributed. Tim contributed a way to define nested eager load relationships via a nested array. Uh, and so if you um, wanted to load in two relationships, you could say, like, if you had a book model, you could say, I want to load in the author and the author's contacts, right? So like this sort of multi-stepped, it's using dot notation, right? So I have a book and the book has an author mm-hmm. and then the author has contacts. I could say book colon colon with author dot contacts get, right? So you use that dot notation to load in both of them. Or you can do a nested array, which this is interesting too. So you can say uh, book with, and now this would be interesting if the author has not only contacts, but also has a publisher relationship. Before, what you might have to do is something like author.contacts, comma, author.publisher or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. You'd probably have to pass in an array and then pass in both of those things, right? Two, two different strings. With this, what you can do is you can just pass in a single array, but it's, it's, a, it's a nested array. So you could say book with array, author, another array, contacts, and publisher. Right, so you can load in both the author, the author's contacts, and the author's publisher using this nested array notation. So really nice, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah, it's nicer than than the dot notation yes. just for yes, readability. For sure. It kind of reveals a little bit more of the structure of those relationships, I suppose. So yeah, nice, mm-hmm. nice, nice. Okay, we have add host methods to the Luminate request object. So this is. I'm um, not exactly sure who's, who contributed this one. I'm sure I could look at the pull request. You can tell me afterwards. Okay. Provides three convenience methods on the Illuminate request instance to access underlying Symfony methods. So if you didn't know, um, a lot of, I don't know how much of Laravel, right? But a lot, a good, a good amount is built on top of Symfony components as well. So, so if you are needing to get to some of those Symfony methods, these are now three convenience methods on top of the Illuminate request instance that will allow you to access those underlying Symfony, Symfony component methods. So that is request uh, arrow host. That is the get host Symfony method. Uh, you have HTTP host, which is the get HTTP host Symfony method. And then you have scheme and HTTP host, which gets you the get scheme and HTTP host method from Symfony. So if you're coming from Symfony or you're used to working with Symfony and you kind of are missing access to those or you're tired of having to kind of dig through the, you know, through the classes to get to that stuff, you can now just do the nice little proxy methods mm-hmm. um, on top of that request object. Okay. Uh, let's see. A couple more things here. Michael, I'm gonna, you know what? Why don't you... This is a long one and we've only got one today. You want to take over? On, an, on the invocable validation? Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Let's do it. Yeah, so the the invocable validation we spoke about, um, we touched on. Yeah, the invocable validation. Class. No, I don't think so. It's, I, I think it's different. Crazy? I don't, invocable validation rules. Oh, this is the ability to, um, for invocable validation rules to push errors to nested and other attributes. So we talked about, obviously, the invocable rule itself. Well, this is now talking about the ability to um, add rules to to nested things so if you're doing if you have a, a rule that's setting some value on a um nested like onto an array or onto a like a relationship where you've got an array so you've got like user and profile you can now pass the the attribute um and return that that message onto a specific nested hmm, very key. interesting yeah um, no, it if does. that makes no sense which no, probably does. doesn't yeah 
definitely check out the implementation usage example. Well, I wasn't, I was not kidding when we were talking about yeah, this being the no Timmy job. Mac release. Uh, we've got the fake helper as well, which was contributed by Tim McDonald. And this is a global fake helper function that allows you to easily access a singleton faker instance. And using this helper is useful when prototyping, when testing and generating factory and seed data. So before you could, you know, reach out, if you were, if you were just scaffolding out or just sort of creating a proof of concept for something and you just wanted some data to appear uh, yeah. in the UI, you might um, grab out the like faker factory, create, you know, all of that kind of stuff that you have to do in the, in the, in your blade templates or wherever else. Whereas this is just a simple method that returns the faker factory itself. And so you can just go fake, open, open parentheses, close parentheses, arrow and whatever else. Um, and you can even do locale specific. So if you pass as the, as a parameter to the fake helper, en underscore au, then that'll set the locale for fake. So like if you say like sentence, um, it says like, good day, mate, or let's have another shrimp on the barbie <laughs> or grab me another fosters. Yes, possibly. Whatever. Possibly. You know. Where's my... <laughs> All of those horrible my... stereotypes. <laughs> whatever it is. I can't remember the name of it. This, the nasty tasting stuff that looks like chocolate. Yeah. Vegemite. My Vegemite. Nasty. Oh, gosh. Nasty. It's okay. Sorry. I don't mean to hate on it. It's it's okay. <laughs> I, I, I can do some of it. I just can't do like a massive you know amount of it you've got to you've got to that's look, true. you've got to work your way up to it most of us that that you see eating it have got a right. lifetime of vegemite that's eating true. experience under our belts um you do you do you talk about you mentioned the cumulative career yeah sorry it was at the very top of what back, taylor tweeted about it so i literally gave you one thing to talk about on that my bad sorry dude <laughs> <laughs> that's fine that's fine you yeah, know this this is handy um in scenarios like you've got the ability to to figure out n plus one query issues, but this is also like you may have the n, n plus one query issue or you may just need to run like a lot of unique queries on the page, but all of those queries add up. So, you know, if something comes out to like five seconds, you might be able to look at what you're querying and finding ways to optimize. I probably for the first legitimate time ever in a Laravel application had to use um, some joins to do like a, a, a nested subselect to get out some values, which was um, an interesting thing because running all the queries manually and then and formatting it in in PHP was just a bit too slow. So um, that is a handy one that that will help out some people that are like trying to optimize why their application is slow, not necessarily being able to understand why at the outset. So yeah, uh, the Timmy Mac release we'll call it and we'll we'll leave it at that. But that is that is all. We'll have links to everything obviously in the show notes. Indeed. Indeed. Sorry, I'm reading some of the other stuff that didn't even make it into this view compiler stuff. A lot. It was a, it was a yeah, it was a huge, big release. Huge. They got all sorts of stuff in here. I mean, yeah, really, really good stuff. Okay. Hey, um, you actually have used Laravel. This this other thing that I, I'm not going to mention it. I'm going to let you introduce this one. So mm. yeah, why don't you talk about it? I'm going to mention it. Yeah. This is Laravel. Is it Pint or Pint? It's Pint. <laughs> and it's it? um. Well, so so this is no. Well, the logo is like a beer, so it'd make you think that it's pint. But I saw Nuno was talking about it, and uh, he said pint because it's PHP lint. Ah, uh, so there you go. Look at that. He's so clever. <laughs> so the long long awaited hype train is finally over. So Nuno has been uh, tweeting about this and sending little screenshots as the Laravel crew are prone to do. This is Laravel's the latest open source CLI app that has been released to the released to the world. And this is a zero dependency PHP code style fixer for minimalists that is built on top of PHP CS Fixer. So 
Zero dependency means that when you compose or require this, either directly into your project or globally onto your system, you just get a binary. You just get a a, a pint binary, and and that's it. Obviously, it being built on top of PHP CS Fixer, it compiles that into the binary itself. But from your perspective as a consumer of the of the package, it's just the single executable. Um, so this is you can either install this as a as a regular dependency into your application, which is useful for for version locking and things like that, obviously, or you can install it globally so you can use it anywhere on your system. But with no configuration, no setup or thought or effort, your project will be instantly assessed for PSR 12 styling violations and automatically fixed. So if you run vendor bin pint after installing this, it will assume that you want to use the PSR 12 preset and just go and update all of your code accordingly. Keeping your code clean and consistent sometimes takes a lot of effort or thought on how to get this set up which rules you need to implement and things like that. And with PHP CS Fixer, whilst you know this is built on top of that, you've got to come up and create the configuration file. You've got to read through and create finders to add all the rules and things like that. And it's like, don't get me wrong, it's not a difficult thing, but it's something that either you need to do on every project or you need to come up, come up with what you want to do or how you want to go about it. Um, and then, you know, you copy and paste that thing around, which I've been doing for years is copying and pasting a PHP CS Fixer thing around. But being able to have this... And, and it just being there on my system and I can just run it, knowing that for every single you know Laravel application that I run, it's going to be consistent, that's handy to know. Um, you don't have to do any configuration whatsoever, but if you create a pint.json file in the root of your project, then pint will load this anytime um, it goes through and reads that configuration and does whatever additional stuff you want it to do. But otherwise, it will stick to the defaults. Um, by default, it does PSR 12. There is also a Laravel preset, which will do some of the Laravel specific code, code style conventions and things like that. But you'll get output listing all of the files that it's been through, ticks if something has been fixed, dots if everything was fine, and then it'll list out what it was done and what rules applied to that. Um, so you can change this, run it. Um, people have already started putting out GitHub actions yeah, to help you run beautiful. this in in your GitHub Actions workflows, uh, there's a VS Code plugin. Um, I have submitted a, a a pull request to the um, AL project so that those of you that are using Vim, you'll get that at some stage in the future so you can just run um, using Pint as well if it's available to you. Um, but you get beautiful. Uh, if you want additional information about what's happened, you can use the dash V flag and it will show you what changed. And there's also a dash dash test flag which you can put into your CI if you want to fail builds, for example. So rather than saying applying fixes, because some teams they get, you know, you can get into issues there where someone has pushed up some code that didn't necessarily, like they're not running a plugin on their side to to set the code style. So they push up their code. You've got the CI process that goes through and changes it. The next time they try and push yeah. code, um, you know, they'll get conflicts because there's changes that they haven't pulled down. So they have to pull and then push and like things can happen there. So sometimes it's better to just fail the build and say that there are style violations and then have the developer push up the correct code. Um, so that's entirely up to you. But definitely check it out. I think it's um I think it's nice. I know I know that there's been a lot of uh, chatter yeah, there I was. guess about People this and you know Laravel was just packaging yeah. things up and it look, you can totally. use it or you don't have to use it. Um Laravel has has always been about, you know, simplifying developer experience. Like the, like I said, creating the configuration file is the kind of thing that you sort of do once and you kind of copy it around between different projects. You can put it into your own base project that you clone from anytime you're starting a new project. This is just another one of the tools in the Laravel ecosystem that you can choose to use or not use. It's not 
if you're using style CI, style CI will still do some things that Pint does not currently do. And style CI does other languages like it does JavaScript. I think it does CSS as well, maybe. Whereas Pint is specifically focused on your Laravel like PHP applications. So um, check it out if it's, if it's of interest to you. If it's not, don't use it. Continue using whatever it is that makes Very you happy. Nice, yeah. Uh, and and yeah, congratulations to to Nuno for, for yeah, putting that absolutely. One and and if you are looking for a solution that is sort of already that has been out there for a long time, and um, from a long time Laravel community member, Graham Campbell, Style CI works great. We've used it on all our uh, stuff, and we have used it for years and years and years. And it it does, you know, it just uh, automatically. Well, you can set it up to do whatever you want. You can have it fill the build. You can have it automatically push stuff in as a new commit for your pull request. Yeah, lots of lots of cool stuff there. If you're looking for something that is already done, all that you don't like setting up GitHub Actions, maybe or something like that. I'm not sure. Style CI is a good one too. But uh, mm-hmm. the thing that I saw on Twitter that people were saying, which was sort of silly, they're like zero dependencies. This isn't zero dependencies. Like, what do you mean? It's, it's like he's like they're using you're using. Yeah. He's like, well, yeah, of course, I'm using other libraries, but I'm packaging down to a binary. Like, you don't have to like. They're like, well, it seems like you're trying to take credit for like somebody else's work without mentioning that. It's like, no, come on, seriously, come on. And yeah. so, yeah, I feel like some people, I don't know. There's, I remember somebody was like, yeah, like you packaged up somebody else's code and made a really nice UI to make it more approachable eye roll progress i'm like yeah i mean actually yes that's exactly correct like it just makes it really really easy to do this that's that's the whole thing i mean that is honestly i I mean everybody's like well why did you build this this already exists and then you turn around and see the guy's lambo right i mean like i mean seriously like forge envoy what was it like literally nothing else existed that could do that stuff no of course not it's just he made it really freaking easy and so it's the same thing with pint right it's just a really really easy way to accomplish this stuff it's not like you couldn't have done it before using a whole bunch of other stuff it's just yeah why why would you want to do that if you got a really great solution like this so yeah yeah i mean it's the same kind of arguments that that you see for other tooling in in the ecosystem like you know docker you could you could go and create your own Docker file and build your own images and all of that kind of stuff. Or you could use something that's already been built for you. You know, not, not everything, um, even like not even just in our ecosystem, but you know, I saw, um, Snipe was, was posting about the asset, like Snipe IT, the asset management stuff that, that they run and that, you know, someone, there's, there's like Linux server, which is a group that, basically packages up other things and and gives you like these Docker containers that you can just install and run. And so they've packaged up Snipe IT as a Docker thing. Like this happens across the ecosystem, like in IT in general. You know, you don't want to install PyHole on your system. You want to install the PyHole Docker image or you want to install, you know, whatever else. These things, Plex and, and whatever else, rather than going through all the configuration and set up yourself, people just do this. It's like it gives you broader adoption of these you know, best practices and, and code style is a best practice, whether you're doing it manually um, using PHP CS fix or PHP CBF or whatever other tools you're using, or if you're just using something like you're in the, the ecosystem and people talk about it being vendor. It, it's a free thing. It's an optional thing. If you don't want to use it, it doesn't cost you anything and you don't have to Indeed. use it. So use it, don't use it up yeah, to you. But don't Great tool. It. Love it. Uh, exactly. Already using it. Okay, so on to packages. So that's sort of releases and news. And I'm like, yeah, it's going to be a quick episode. And we're already <laughs> 28 minutes in. So here we go. Skip webpack when testing. So 
This is by uh, Chris Vidal. And also, I want to say that Laravel Pint article was written by Steve. Steve McDougall, uh, is that right? Just Steve King is uh, a mm-hmm. new yeah, a yep, new Steve writer McDougall. on Laravel News. So thanks, Steve, for that great write-up. Nice job. Mm-hmm. And um, glad that glad to have you around. Okay, so let's talk about uh, Webpack when testing. So Node.js and your continuous integration pipeline. So again, this is from Chris Fidal, who runs Chipper CI along with David Hemphill. Uh, which is just continuous integration for Laravel apps. So one of the things that's annoying is that you have to build a Webpack, right, with Node and all that stuff in order to get your tests to pass a lot of times, right? So Yeah, otherwise you get those dreaded exactly. mixes. You know, the manifest exactly. doesn't exist Yeah, so exist what if you errors. just didn't need to run Node in your pipeline? Is that possible? And he says the answer is definitely, maybe, right? Okay, so... When when can mm-hmm. you only run uh, them in your actual production and not in your CI tests? Okay. So a lot of times the only reason that you need to build static assets in a continuous integration pipeline like this is to generate that mix-manifest file that is run when you run Webpack. So if you're not committing that, which you probably aren't, and you go to run your tests uh, and all of your all of your pages are going to say, nope, can't find that because you're using the mix helper in order to version bust or to you know bust your assets that sounded funny. Bust your assets, right? That's what it is. But it's to version your assets, right? Um, in in production, so that when you push a new version of your JavaScript bundle or your CSS bundle, uh, your your customers are going to get the latest version, right? So use the mix helper in your Blade files, and if you don't have a mix manifest file, it just dies. It throws an error, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't have a manifest file, that error is thrown. Generating that manifest file involves building those static assets. In other words, you have to install NPM or Yarn and then run Webpack, run Webpack right? And he has as a side note here, which, Michael, you just talked to me about this the other day. I was like, what do you guys run in your CI? And you said NPM CI. And I'm like, what's CI? NPM CI, what is mm-hmm. that? And so he says as a side note here, you should be running with a package lock.json file and running NPM CI dash dash no audit instead of NPM install. It's going to be faster. It's going to be better. All the things. Okay, so... Once you run that, yeah. if you take a look, if you've ever looked at your mix manifest JSON file, it's not actually that complicated, right? It's basically here are the different files that you asked to be versioned. And here is some version of, uh, you know, some hash that's appended to the end of those. And so we can make sure that that get versioned. So the kicker is you don't actually need this file to exist for your tests. Here's the way you get around it. Within your tests setup method, you can add the following magic, which is, parent setup this without mix and with that in place the mix helper doesn't return any errors if you're missing a manifest file so that means that your tests can pass without needing to run your node.js tasks so that's pretty cool so in your in your base test class right in the setup method you just say this without mix and then anytime you're running your tests mix won't complain if you don't have a mix manifest file so let's say our mix uh, config generates uh, the mix manifest file we already talked about we can also commit a dummy manifest file to tests slash mix dot dash manifest.json, and then it's always available. So in our CI pipeline, we can just kind of copy that over instead of building our node dependencies. So that's that's awesome. So that with that in file in place, the mix helper works and your feature tests can pass without any issue. And really anything that's going to create a manifest file, a correct manifest file for you like that is going to save a lot of time and resources in your CI build pipelines. Uh, so you don't run out of minutes or out of storage space because you have to install all those node modules every time. So that begs the question, when do you actually need to build assets? So there are a couple times. Number one, when you in your CI are bundling 
those assets into an artifact and then deploying those when you're running your, uh, you know, when you're deploying to production. Okay, so that's that's possible. Number two, mm-hmm. um, when you're running other node commands as part of your test suite, like ESLint, like you're looking across stuff, you're, you're going to have to build in that case. Or uh, when you're going to be actually running through those pages with Laravel Dusk and testing the actual pages end to end, you're going to need to obviously NPM install and then NPM run prod in order to get those so that when you go to those pages, it doesn't, you know, you don't have like a view component that hasn't been compiled and it's just, you know, not working. Okay. So if that is the case, if you do need to build assets, there are still solutions. And one of the things that he mentions here is there's a package called airdrop, which we have talked about before written by Aaron Francis, who we have talked to before on our other show, North meets South. Uh, and this will, what this will do is it will build static assets for you only if they've changed between commits. Right, so if it's looking at and saying, okay, these have changed, it will go ahead and build them. But if they haven't, all you can you can just basically say, well, grab them from S3 or wherever you chucked them last time you built them out. So then you don't have to do the node modules install. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You just basically download what it built the last time, and then Bob's your uncle, all good to go. Bob's your uncle. Did I get that right? You did. Awesome. You did indeed. There we go. Okay, so that's the tutorial there for uh, it's it's less of I actually put it under the wrong thing, right? That's a tutorial, <laughs> not a package, but you got a bonus there. So there we go. That's the tutorial. Excellent. So now for some actual packages. Actual packages. <laughs> this is a package that I saw pop up in our Telegram channel. It's from Dive Be. They are a a, a organization. What do you call it? A develop, developer. Why am I not? An agency. Okay, right? They're sure. a consultancy based out of Belgium. And so the Laravel dry request package checks if your request would pass validation if you executed them normally. Think of it as the equivalent of a dry run command line flag for request validation. Using this package, you can hit the endpoint that users are using to enter a form and get real-time feedback with 100% validation accuracy. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, that is similar to LiveWise validation. Yes. In that you can you know, do that real-time validation. So the way that works under the hood is that it runs validation logic for a controller but skipped the controller action. This package returns a 200 OK status response when given a x-dry-run colon true header. Fields not present get emitted dynamically using the sometimes rule to ensure good user experience. You can start using this validation package by either adding a dry runnable trait to a form request or using request validate directly. And then on the front end, you need to send the, the dry run header, as I mentioned, to validate the form input. So this this is essentially hitting like the form request and then returning straight away rather than going through the rest of that logic. Uh, so it's a really nice user experience kind of thing where you can get that real-time validation and feedback and things like that on a per-field basis without having to send you know the request and then get the, the validation back. So that gives you the ability to like on blur, send the request for the, the field that was just left so that you can get the validation error if there are, uh, run the validation if there are any errors, you can then display it in line. So um, definitely check this one out. We will have links to it in the show notes. They've got Axios examples. They've also got inertia examples. And so, uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting one. So very cool. Hmm. Very cool. Okay. We've got ORM caching package for Laravel. So Laracache is an ORM uh, object relational model, which is what Eloquent is, right? Based package for Laravel to create, update, and manage cache items based on model queries. So if you happen to be running a query that you use heavily throughout your application and you want to cache that so you don't have to keep hitting the database to do that, uh, this would uh, help you out. So uh, you uh, 
uh, on a particular model class, you're going to use a Laracache trait. And then when you do that, you're going to implement a cache entities method. And that's going to define these different cached queries for you. It'll take care of the rest. Uh, and so to use the cache queries, you call the model like following. So if we had a article, uh, if a article was the model that we're talking about here, and we are wanting to do those cached queries, you would say article cache, and then you'd say get latest, or you would say layer cache retrieve article class latest. Either way is going to work fine. Uh, but inside that cache entities method that we talked about previously, you basically define in there these different queries that you're going to run and you name them inside of there. So those cache entities, you're going to name them inside of there. And so that when you actually call article cache get and then the name of one of those uh, queries that you've defined inside that cache entities, it will go look at that thing and say, probably is what I'm guessing. Hey, have I queried this before? And if I have, go ahead and check to see if there's a cached version of it. See if it's expired based on what I set up as a rule inside that cache entities method. And if it is expired, run it again and then cache it. Otherwise, just return the cached version of it, right? So essentially, I've set this up multiple times for different applications that we have. But it's been set up like two or three different ways, two to three different times, right? There's, you know, some people use a like a decorator sort of uh, approach. They'll mm -hmm. they'll wrap it in a cache, or you know, they'll manually forget the stuff on a you know on a semi regular basis, or what have you. There's there's a a couple different ways that you could do it, right? But this basically gives you, uh, you know, what this is exactly what packages do, right? They just give you a standardized way to do a particular thing. So this package, you can control cache with the following features: you can enable or disable cache. You can update the cache manually. You can update all cache entities manually. You can delete the cache uh, without clearing out the entire cache of your application, right? You can control cache entity duration uh, using fluent methods or using a time to live method. And so Paul Redmond, everyone's favorite human who wrote this one, uh, said the following manual cache update was neat, refreshing your cache on the fly. So you say article cache update latest. So you say update it, or uh, there's another way to do it if, if you're using a Lara cache facade. So yeah, this is an interesting one. I like that it's it's all within your model. So so a lot of times the way that I've done this is where I'm using it specifically. Um, like if I'm in a specific spot where I know I'm going to be hitting a query often, that's where I'll do the cache. Is outside of the model, somewhere where it's going to be utilized, right? The cool thing about this mm -hmm. is all of the rules around how long it lives for and what those things that should be cached for this particular model are, they all live inside the model. So you can see them all right there. Um, and then when you end up using them, it's going to just handle whatever the config is that you set up inside of the package here. Um, so that's, that's really nice, actually. It's really, really nice. I think that's uh, clever and looks to be really well done. So where to go? Where to go, Lara Cache team? Yeah. Let me see if I've got a name on that one. We got Mustafa Zenevand. That's what it is. Thanks, Mustafa. Thanks, Mustafa. Uh, next up, we have a collection. This is a collection of ISO standards as PHP enum. So this is a package by Frank Prinz. It is a collection, a package uh, that is a collection of standards that are compiled as PHP enums. So PHP 8.1. And this includes wonderful standards such as ISO 3166, 4217, and 639. More specifically, 
This is for common language ISO codes, country mm. codes, Dang, and currencies. That's nice. And this came out at a very good time because I had to map between, you know, the however many hundred countries there are between the two-letter codes and the country name in an app that I'm working on. And this package came out about two days later and it saved me from having to do all of that stuff manually. So this gives you, as I said, PHP enums for all of that mapping. So if you want to draw, uh, you know, you want to store a list of or show a, you know, dropdown of all of the countries because you need to see where your customer's from, but you just want to store that in the database as two characters for, you know, space considerations and things like that, this is the package for you. It will do all the mapping for you. It will handle converting from integers, from strings, from three-letter codes, from two-letter codes, um, and then returning the the names and values of all of those things. So definitely check that out. It is a super handy package. And if there's any, you know, ISO standards that you think would would benefit from being contributed to this package, definitely open up a pull request. Uh, so thanks to Frank for this one. The uh, language one is really nice, actually. I feel like I've had to try and find these before. Like when we were adding a new language mm-hmm. to a translation or to an app that we I helped manage, um, and it's like some really obscure one. I'm trying to think of like there was one. Geez, I'm not going to be able to remember it. But it's like started with a T. I'd never heard of it before. I'm like, what is this? It's mm-hmm. some tribal language like in Africa. I'm like, what is this? I've never heard of right. this before. And so like Googling, trying to find like the correct code. I didn't know that was ISO 639. I didn't know that's what it was. I just knew I was looking for like mm-hmm. a two-letter code. And so anyway, this just gives that, all that to you. So that's really, really nice. Um, yeah. And the thing is too, like when you can't get that exactly correct, right? When you don't have the two-letter code depending on Mm -hmm. where they're coming from it might be built into their browser that like that's their language um preference and so you we ended up fighting all sorts of errors because we were just injecting that right but thankfully we had an error tracking service because let's face it your code's going to have errors right even the best developers are going to have errors and when errors happen it's nice to know that you can use a service like honey badger they've got your back they make you a devops hero by combining your error monitoring, your uptime monitoring, your check-in monitoring into one single pane of glass, one platform. They send you alerts in real time with all the context that you need to see where the error is happening, where it's hiding in your code so you can fix it, get on with your day and get back to doing what you want to do, which I promise is not dealing with errors. The included uptime and crown monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues, you're dealing with a flaky API, your background jobs are missing or silently failing. Honey Badger has got you covered. Go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star, Josh, and Ben created a 100% bootstrapped monitoring solution. No venture capital. Why is that important? Because they don't have Kevin O'Leary telling them what to do, right? Who's this guy? Mr. Wonderful telling them how to do their error tracking service? I don't think so. Self-funding means they only answer to you, the developer, rather than their venture capital overlords. I mean, if it was like Mark Cuban, maybe, but not Kevin O'Leary. Come on. All right, folks. Honey Badger, check them out and uh, give them some love. Thanks, Honey Badger. Kevin O'Leary. Kevin O'Leary. I actually kind of like him, but he's, you know, he's so <laughs> smart. He's really smart, but I don't know. He's also a... You just, had to, a you just had to pick a bad guy? Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. He's a salesman. He's sort of like, a, you know, car, I don't know. He's really freaking smart and really freaking successful, but he just comes across as a little bit like uh, smarmy, right? Just anything for a buck. Mm-hmm. Like... And right, he'll tell right. you as much, right? He just loves his money. And so, whatever. Is smarmy the right word? Is that, is that what I'm looking for? Smarmy is the right word. That is smarmy. a good word. I mean, it's a bad word, but it's, yeah, right. it's a good word. Okay. <laughs> All right. You're up, my man. Supercharged pipelines. 
I am. Supercharged pipelines. Seems like pipelines are doing the rounds at the moment, which is nice to see. So this is a package from Chef Has Teeth, which is a which is a good handle. Does Chef Has Teeth have a name? Sam is a Chef Has Teeth. This is a package for Laravel that adds a few unique features to the built-in pipeline functionality. For example, this package has a with transaction method, which will run this pipeline within a database transaction and automatically commit or rollback depending on if the pipeline succeeded. Oh, that's cool. The package also has a pipeable trait that you can implement on a data object or class, which allows you to create create a pipeline to pipe through a series of actions from a request. So you can say like use a data object colon colon from request and pass it the request. Mm. And then if you have a um, user data object that uses the pipeable trait, you can define the public property. So name, email, and password and create your from request method, um, your static constructor to take the request and then assign those things. And then you can pass this. This is very similar to the Jesse Shart. Sure, um, yeah. Yeah, like the, the Zangle the, uh, pipeline. What are those guys called? The Zangle, the Zangle pipeline yeah. thing. Very similar concept um, in terms of like taking this traveler object and sending it through a pipeline of things. But it gives you a nice little UI um, to, do, to do that. And it gives you, you know, a little bit more rather than having like a new traveler that, that they do in the in the Zangle thing, we've got this discrete object that you can then build up from a request and then pipe it through actions and then do something with it at the end. So you can learn more about this package, get the full installation instructions and view the source code on GitHub, which we have links in the show notes. And if you'd like to learn more about pipelines in Laravel, we've got an article uh, on Laravel News called Understanding Laravel Pipelines, which is an excellent resource written by Jeff Ocho. So Jeff definitely check all of that out. It's been a while since I heard from Jeff. What's Jeff up to it these has days? has been a while. Jeff's no, doing good. Like, he, I, I'm not. I'm not even. I'm not even convinced he's. I'm. I'm did, did he maybe leave PHP? I I he know, certainly stepped away. I think Square One, IO. Mm. Dude's a good That'll dude though. I remember, I remember Jeff. Jeff was a solid guy, man. He was around everywhere for a while there. So, hope you're doing well, Jeff. Hope you're doing really well. Miss you, man. Okay. API integrations using Saloon in Laravel. Speaking of a guy who's been around a lot, Sam Caray. This guy, we've had him on the show twice over on North Meet South. So this is actually a tutorial. So I'm going to, I apologize. I put this in the wrong space twice now, but this is actually written by uh, Steve again. And Steve is, I, I don't know, you, that takes a lot of time to write tutorials, right? And so we, we've yeah. talked about what Saloon is before, but we've maybe not asked, what's the what what's the whole story? How do I go from setting it up to using it with a real third-party API in Laravel. So how do we do this, right? Um, and so uh, Steve goes through with Sam Carey's package, Saloon, uh, to make API integrations really great. It's going to be a walkthrough on how you can use it to build an integration from scratch. And so he starts with like Laravel new, like literally let's build a brand new app and walks you through how you set up Saloon, how you use uh, Artisan to you know scaffold new requests using the um, CLI commands that come with Saloon. So Artisan Saloon request. And then you can uh, say, here's the thing that it's relating to. It's GitHub. And then I have a new request that I'm going to make called list repository workflows request. And he um, just steps through it one step at a time, all the way through. How do you handle the request? How do you handle the response? And actually, I am going to be looking at this really soon here because we are going to be changing out a old school, we're dealing with SOAP and XML, which is fine, I guess. But 
man, mm-hmm. when we first started getting into it, it was very murky. I did not understand. I thought there was some magic in play behind the scenes for how it was getting sent and returned. No magic, no magic, just garbage mm-hmm. crap all the way through. And so I thought I was like, maybe I was not understanding something. No, 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 no. I, I understood it. That's just, that's exactly what it was. So we're going to be switching it out for Saloon. And I can't even tell you how excited I am. Uh, Saloon is just yeah. really, really great. I've been looking through it. And the docs are awesome as well. And Sam's awesome as well. And so he even added an additional feature recently with, I want to say it was either Saml or maybe not Saml, but what's that other one? We use GitHub OAuth. OAuth. Yes, I yeah, OAuth. OAuth, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. you can use Saloon with OAuth endpoints. Um, right. So pretty cool. So he's he's still working on it. It's not like it's just like he built it and now it's done. Like I think he's actually using it in production himself. And so there's a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, he's making improvements as they use it. So um, really cool. If you're wondering, you know, you've heard us talk about it before and you're saying, oh, I would like to do that, but I don't really have a good starting place. This is a good spot. This is a good spot to be. Steve's a great writer. You'll enjoy his writing and he's succinct without missing, you know, without cutting corners. So Good stuff there. Mm-hmm. Check that out if you've been interested but haven't had a good place to start. Yeah, this is this is actually what I wanted to talk to you about on our on North Mid South. Um, oh yeah, yeah, okay. So we'll try and remember this for next time if you want to hear that conversation. Yeah, tune um, in next time, folks. You, using something like this and then wrapping it up for multiple. Yeah, basically we'll, building we'll your we'll little we'll SDK, we'll right? Yeah. yeah, using Saloon yep. as like a dependency. Yes. Cool. Yes, indeed. Um, next up, we have getting started with Laravel Scout and Mueller Search. Um, this is a large tutorial um, written by our good friend, Steve McDougall. And I'm not going to go into it. But to give you a very high level, Mueller Search is a, a relatively new kit on the block. It is very similar to Algolia in terms of functionality, but it is an open source project built using the Rust programming language. And you can run it locally at no cost or in production using something like Laravel Forge. So you can use Laravel Forge to spin up a Mueller search server automatically for you um, and then use that for your full-text search in your applications. You can use it via Laravel Scout, which is a first-party package to handle full-text searching for you. Um, the tutorial itself is going to walk through getting started using Mueller search with Scout so you can see the difference in setups and make a decision which way you would like to go. As always, you start with a fresh Laravel app using the Laravel installer and go from there. So if that's something that is of interest to you, if you needed to do full text searching or, you know, lightning fast searching of your applications and various facets of it, definitely check this article out. Yeah, I, We'll have links in the show notes. I feel like something like this is great if you have to do something at scale, mm-hmm. like because those other services do get quite expensive. If yep. you have to do a lot of searches, Algolia can get pricey. If you have a smaller app, try Algolia first though. Save yourself. Mm-hmm. Algolia is actually really, really good. We should maybe see if we can get them as a sponsor on the show because I'd love to talk about them more. We use them in a couple different applications and I've just always been super pleased with their developer experience and with the tools they offer out of the box. It's good stuff. So certainly like if you're looking for like if you're, you know, suffering under some massive burden of like, you know, this pricing that you can't get out from mm. under, check out Mealy Search. It's it's pretty cool. And I know this has been like, this isn't brand new. It's been around for a little while. And so good stuff. Okay. Another article written by Steve here, June 20th. The guy is uh, prolific here. Nice job, Steve. Running PHP stand on Max with Laravel. So in 2019, Nuno mm. Maduro re- released a package. Again, same deal here, right? As, as so like think of uh, Pint, right? 
we have PHP Stan, which is great, but he released Laristan, which is a set of PHP Stan rules that works well for Laravel applications. And I have to say, maybe I'm just lazy, but I would never have given PHP Stan a chance if it wasn't for having some really sane defaults, which is mm-hmm. Laristan. That's what it is. So, um, so Steve talks about up until the point he had really struggled getting a good static analysis coverage using PHP standard Psalm and Laristan solved that problem for him, right? Never felt more confident in the code than he does uh, using something like Laristan. The great thing about something like static analysis is that it looks over code that you, even that you haven't tested yet, right? Even if you have code that has not yet been covered by tests, it will look at it, which is pretty awesome. So in this tutorial, he walks through adding Laristan to a new Laravel project setting the level to max, right? The highest level, because you can run Laristan at different levels and then seeing what you mm-hmm. need to resolve right into a brand new Laravel project. I will say as well, sorry, and let, let me finish his description and then I will say one other thing. We're going to add some logic to the application, see what's needed to allow us to keep confidence in the code as you run it at max. And then he goes through all of the requirements for like, hey, again, here's how you get set up. Here's how you run it at max. Here's how you run it at all. And here are the things you need to watch out for and how you solve them, right? Awesome. And also with uh, Nuno adding generics in PHP, sorry, in Laravel 9, you get even better type support in Laravel, uh, even for things like arrays, right? So like I've, I've always been like one of those guys, like I don't like to pass arrays around because I always feel like I'm blind to what's actually in them. So I transform everything to a DTO or some sort of object so I can see kind of what's inside there, at least have an idea if I'm going to be passing it more than one layer, I'd like to see what's in there. And so I was going to say one other thing with with Laristan, you know, it can be and it can be really intimidating getting started with something like PHP standard Laristan because it can feel like I am going to be buried in this stuff yeah. forever before I can it's even get a test, uh, you know, a passing thumbs up. The great thing about mm-hmm. Laristan PHP Stan is you can say run it, give me a baseline, and say that's where it's that's the baseline. Like don't like I'm I'm allowing myself to say. Keep that. That's fine. Anything that comes in new, make sure that I'm running in compliance with what PHP stand with or Laravel stand mm-hmm. would normally say, right? So you can basically say, okay, from this point forward, I'm going to be using you know static analysis to look at my code, and kind of you just have like a baseline set. You can do that, so it makes it a lot less intimidating to pull this into your project and start using really good coding practices today instead of waiting, right? Yeah. Okay. And and just on that, I would use like a hybrid approach between the two. Mm-hmm. In terms of, I would get to a level, like start at level zero, go to one, go to two, go to three. And like, eventually you'll hit a point in your application where there's just too much stuff. And that's where you would set your baseline. I wouldn't just go like right off the bat, ignore it. Because there are some quick wins that you can get at sure. the lower lower levels. Yeah, and, and and fixing those, you know, as a fun day Friday thing, if, if that's your idea of fun, can be, you know, just something that gives you a little bit more stability and 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 quality in your application but it's definitely something that yeah as you say if you just start at like level six or seven or eight or max or whatever else you're you're going to just look at it and go nah i'm going to uninstall it i'm just going to ignore it and pretend it doesn't like and not worry about it but the amount of things that will be solved like just things that you'll pick up especially if your editor does it you know if you're using php storm or vs code or even you know vim does it as well having these things running within the context of your editor you'll pick these things up straight away. Like you'll see unused variables. You come into a, a piece of code that you've never, you know, that you may have never looked at or sure. you haven't looked at in months and it just picks up like unused variables. You can just delete them because you know, like the editor is telling you, 
the static analysis is telling you this variable is not used. There's no point for it to be there. So you can just awesome. get rid of it. Yeah. Um, so, so like quick little wins like that, just, and it like having unused variables in your code, don't get me wrong, makes no impact to the performance of the code, potentially, depending on what you're doing. Like if you're doing a collection operation on a variable, you know, and assigning that to a variable and they're never using it, that can be a performance impacting thing. But generally speaking, like a variable that's, that's there for no reason, you can just get rid of. Totally. Um, and so those, those little things that help just improve the quality of your of your application code. So definitely check that out. Um, it's it's a nice thing to do. The next thing, running a single store on Apple Silicon. This is an article by Charlie Joseph, um, who I think this is his first article, possibly his only article um, on, on Laravel News. And this is a guy that takes you through installing single store on your Apple Silicon machine for development purposes. Single store is a, a hosted database platform that has been doing the rounds lately. I know that uh, Aaron France has been working around with it for for a little bit recently. I know that Jack Ellis and the team at Jack Ellis, Jack Ellis and the team at Fathom Analytics use it for for their entire platform. So definitely check this out if it's of interest to you. It is a modern day database solution built for rapid aggregation within your data intensive applications. It is much faster at fetching and aggregating data than traditional MySQL based solutions. So definitely check it out. If you've got like high read write and you need to be able to like get data into and out of your database quickly, definitely check this out. It'll be something of interest to you, especially if you're in a high yield application. Like MySQL, don't get me wrong, goes a long, long way. Postgres goes a long, long way. But there are some intensive applications where you're doing like lots of reads and writes. You know, MySQL and Postgres may be good for lots of reads and writes to a point. They're obviously good for very large databases, but this is, you know, something next level again. So definitely check it out. Read this article. Keep an eye on Aaron Francis. He's doing some stuff with Single Store. I know that um, I'm pretty sure that Jack Ellis is also doing some content around Single Store coming in the future as well. So lots of lots of good vibes around that um, technology in our community at the moment. So definitely check it out. Absolutely. Hey, folks, that takes us all the way through for today. This quick show ended up being 59 minutes and we've got seven seconds. Oh, wait, no, I was gonna not, I'm not going to make it. Not going to make it an hour. Oh, it was close. It was close. All right, that's okay. We'll wrap it up <laughs> anyway. Folks, thanks so much for hanging out with us. This was episode 170 of the Laravel News Podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at podcast.laravel-news.com slash 170. If you like the show, please rate it up in your podcatcher of choice. Five stars would be amazing. And if you would like to talk to us, hit us up on Twitter at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorenda, or at Laravel News. Until next time, folks, we'll see you later. Bye, folks.